So last night I gave an overview of the ethical factors of the path, being right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And I saved the first of those three, uh, right speech, for today because it felt more useful to talk about right speech when we could not only talk about it but actually practice it. So this morning I'm going to give just a fairly brief overview of right speech and then uh, invite us into different ways of practicing it. So just for some context, over the course of the Buddha's teachings, he gave many, many discourses on right speech, perhaps because, as we all know, our words can have enormous power to cause, to create benefit and to cause harm. So speech is included as one of the five training precepts where the instruction is to refrain from incorrect speech, sometimes translated as false speech. And in its most basic form, this means uh, not lying. But as I've been emphasizing, all of the precepts start on a very basic level, and then as the practice develops, they become increasingly refined. So the Buddha defined right speech not only in terms of not lying, but also avoiding abusive speech, divisive speech, and idle chatter, or useless speech, as it's sometimes translated. So in the case of this precept on right speech, we might start by committing to not telling lies. Then as our wisdom becomes stronger, we start to notice more subtle types of unhelpful speech, such as gossip, idle speech, cynicism, exaggeration, self-aggrandizement, and so on. And then even beyond that, as our understanding deepens further, we can move towards practicing more positive forms of speech. And the Buddha offered five guidelines for uh, working out whether something is... uh, right speech or not, he said, bless you. He said, practitioners, a statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. It is spoken in truth. It is spoken affectionately. It is spoken beneficially. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. A statement endowed with these five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. So I'll give you those five factors again spoken at the right time, spoken in truth, spoken affectionately, spoken beneficially, spoken with a mind of goodwill. And i just like to highlight that in that quote, 
whether or not something is factually true is only one of five different factors to consider. And whether it's true or not isn't even the first of these factors. The first factor is whether it's spoken at the right time. So speaking the truth then doesn't mean just blurting out whatever might be factually true. And I think it's worth highlighting this because in some Western cultures there's a tendency to make statements such as, oh, it's just speaking my truth, or but that's my truth, as if that gives us a right to just say it because it's factually true. But as we just heard, we have to consider much more than just the words themselves and their factual truth if we're going to be practicing this right speech. In order to know if it's the right time to speak, we have to be sensitive to the other person. We have to be sensitive to the wider context of our communications. And we have to be aware of the state of our own hearts and minds of our motivation for speaking, to check if what we're about to say is going to be spoken affectionately and beneficially and with a heart-mind of goodwill. So my guess is that most people in principle would uh, agree that these are uh, beneficial things to be practicing. But one of the aspects of right speech I personally find so fascinating is that even though I might prefer to speak according to these guidelines, it's quite often in our everyday communications that I find myself not speaking like this, not living up to these standards. So I'd like to uh, just touch in briefly to what might support us moving in the direction of more refined speech. And the first support you can probably guess, because it appears in the first of so many of the Buddha's lists, is mindfulness. Being able to bring mindfulness to the arena of speaking and listening makes a huge difference to our communication, because with awareness, we then have a choice about how to respond instead of just uh, speaking from autopilot. And I think I've shared with some of you before the experience I had a, a few years ago now of um, being in a close relationship and finding myself repeating these same patterns of speech. It was kind of not quite an argument, but a familiar set of disputes where my partner would say A and I'd say B and he'd say C and I'd say D and we'd find ourselves going through this sequence of same old, same old um interactions and I this happened enough times that I would be thinking in the middle of it here we're we going again how is this happening I wasn't going to say this it wasn't supposed to play out this way and yet it would play out in the same sequence quite a few times and then because it happened so many times I was able to pay attention to it and then finally that I can still remember this moment of freedom when I was halfway through the sequence and I was about to say F and he was about to say G and I just went Q and the whole thing changed but I could feel that moment of freedom when I realized oh I'm mindful enough that I have a choice and I don't have to just fall into that same pattern 
And then because I said Q, he said V, and then it was a completely different uh, interaction. And it's not easy because of those habit patterns, because of the momentum. And so for me, the practice of insight dialogue has been a huge support in training to stay present in the midst of speaking and listening. So I offered not formal insight dialogue practice because it is a whole very powerful set of practices in and of itself, but I invited us into dyad practices in the first three days of the retreat just to get a sense of how we can really support each other and to interact in a more contemplative and meditative way. So I shared the example with some of you when I was teaching in in the men's prison. Sometimes we would do insight dialogue together. And the first time I gave an outline of what the practice was, one of the men got very excited, even quite agitated. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, are you telling me that what happens here, and he pointed to his head, doesn't have to come out here, and he pointed to his mouth. And I said, yep, basically that's it. And he said, ah, awesome. If you could help me not do that, that would be amazing because he said, I'm always running off at the mouth and in here that's dangerous. So we might not be in such an extreme situation, but we've probably all had experiences where we've run off at the mouth and created a dangerous situation. And it's challenging because unlike with physical actions, what happens with the mind and with speech often happens so fast that the words are out of our mouth before we've realized. And once they're out, they're out. We can't reel them back in. So sometimes uh, if we've haven't our mindfulness hasn't been quite strong enough to keep track of things as they're actually happening, I recommend this practice that I slightly jokingly called post-mortem mindfulness. So mindfulness is usually in the present moment. But sometimes if something has happened that we really want to learn something from, we can go back and revisit it. And it's not strictly mindfulness. It's more of a contemplation practice. But we might need to just go back and think back as best we can all of the steps that led to that difficult situation And it can be very helpful to do this really paying attention to the body and the heart to try and get a clearer sense of what were the emotions that were driving that situation. And this type of reflection is in line with the Buddha's instructions to Rahula, his own son, who he'd ordained as a novice monk. And he he said to Rahula, Having performed a verbal act, you should reflect, you should reflect on it. If on reflection you know that it led to self-affliction, to the affliction of others, or to both, that it was an unskillful verbal act with painful consequences, painful results, then you should confess it, reveal it, lay it open to the teacher or to a knowledgeable companion in the holy life. Having confessed it, you should exercise restraint in the future. But if on reflection you know that it did not lead to affliction, 
It was a skillful verbal action with happy consequences, happy results. Then you should stay mentally refreshed and joyful, training day and night in skillful mental qualities. So this capacity to reflect, to look back and to see was what I just did, skillful or unskillful, was, did it lead to painful consequences or the opposite? So again, remembering to also see when things have been skillful, when there were happy consequences, happy results, then we can stay mentally refreshed and joyful. So mindfulness is the first powerful support for right speech. And the second very powerful support is the Brahma-Vihara practices. So as we've been exploring through this retreat in the afternoons, these practices can help us because if we want to speak or act with a peaceful mind, those lines from the Dhammapada, then we need to be actively cultivating that peaceful mind. And this is where the practices of kindness, compassion, joy and equanimity can be so helpful. Doing some formal metta or compassion, particularly doing them regularly, creates what I think of as a kind of soft armor. So we become more resilient, less reactive, better able to bear, you know, just the everyday irritations and barbs and judgments that we're all exposed to on a regular basis. And with repeated practice over time, kindness and compassion start to become more and more the default settings in our minds. So that then when we do speak, we have a better chance of what we're saying be actually timely and true. Timely and true and beneficial and affectionate and spoken with a heart-mind of goodwill. So that's just a very, excuse me, just a very brief outline of right speech. Really just to give a bit of context for, excuse me. (coughs) Oh dear. (coughs) Yeah. A brief outline of, of right speech just to give us some context for actual practice now. And I'd like to, uh, I'll offer you some guidelines for doing that in just a few minutes. So thank you for your attention. <clears throat>